Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you back on. Good. I feel back. I'm back on the podcast again. So, as you guys know, last week I got hit with COVID. You may, may have heard. And um, we had some mixed up signals on that. We apologize. Um, we had a pre recorded segment. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, but we're back, and I'm back. And it's never, I've never felt so good to be back on the podcast. We were talking about it, things in the, about this and just before the podcast went live and with Alice and Matt and Nikki and Paul and everyone here. It's just, it's just really something else to, uh, to, to be dealing with this. Uh, but it is so good. You value health, especially when you don't have it there for a while. And uh, COVID is one nasty thing. Wouldn't wish this on anybody. But anyway, we're here. Monday, December 13th, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're literally so grateful to have you as our listeners. And I think when you go through something, some health things, I, I think you appreciate, you're so more grateful than, uh, than normal for health and just the ability to be in relationships. So I am truly grateful. All of us here at, on the podcast are so grateful for you and being a part of this podcast and listening to it. And it's a real joy for us. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. And we're thrilled to be here and back. We're back. Anyway, we've got in the Hot Topic segment, Debbie, Debbie Weems. Uh, Debbie is the founder of DW Consulting. It's a great story. And, um, you know, a lot of us, who, you know, there's a lot of movement going on in the mortgage industry. And I think it's such a timely, uh, so timely that we have Debbie come on and talk about your LinkedIn profile. A LinkedIn profile is becoming the way in which we communicate and talk about ourselves and, and really put ourselves out there as professionals. And she's going to give us some great tips. And there's so much she can go into. And I love, more importantly, how Debbie reinvented herself and her career. So you're going to hear all about it in the Hot Topic segment. So stay tuned into the Hot Topic segment today. And I recommend you share this with many of your coworkers. Share this with, uh, if you're uh, an owner of a company, many owners listen to this podcast, uh, many senior executives and managers. Share this with your people because a lot of how you put yourself out there will determine your own success and your business success. Well, one owner said, Hey, I don't want to buy my people, have them teach them how to put a better profile. Hey, they're getting recruited anyway, folks. And here's the other thing. Investors are starting to look at these LinkedIn profiles. They, they've been doing it for some period of time is who's runs secondary, who runs underwriting, who runs uh, quality control, having a strong profile that communicates your uh, professional background and, prof- and, and does it in a way that represents you and your company well, 
it benefits you. So pay attention to the Hot Topic segment. We're looking forward to that. We're pleased to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. Check out all the podcast at industrysyndicate.com. Also, thrilled to have our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Finaster, the Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. We've been doing some webinars with them. Uh, it's been really fun uh, with the ABA, uh, ICBA, as well as CUNA. Uh, uh, and so we've done some webinars with them. I encourage you to check out those. You can go onto their website and see uh, and, and go back and listen to those. Uh, also, Lenders One, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these co-ops do a great job of getting lenders and vendors and the, your, your peers together to talk about what's going on in the industry and be able to compare notes. Peer data, being able to talk to lenders of your like size, some of the issues you're facing is, can make such a difference. These organizations are solid, as well as some Community Mortgage Lenders of America, as well as Incelerate. Knowledge Coop does a great job with Ken Perry and his team. Uh, does a great job in keeping you trained, your people trained, and uh, learning management system. Uh, helping you have a learning management system that's a part of your company that is customized and then also can provide so much content. Also, Mobility MMI, the Mortgage Market Intelligence, is uh, just, they do a great job of helping you recruit LOs. Uh, ben Turnick is going to be our guest next week. Thanks, Nikki, for putting that note up there. Also, Modex does a great job of helping recruit. Modex and Mobility MI, they really complement each other. I encourage you to check out both of these companies. We have an increasing number of our clients that are using both companies, and they see the advantages of both. The interview with Dale Larson that we had on November 22nd with Dale and Dale was really good. Also, SnapDocs, digitizing your mortgage closing to offer better experience for your closing teams. you got to pay attention to when you're working with settlement partners and borrowers. SnapDocs provides a really elegant solution, and I encourage you to check it out. Listen to the interview we did with Vishal Ra on September 13th. And also, you know, talk about telling your story, being able to do it and do it well. You know, there's an old proverb that says, let another man's mouth praise you, not that of your own. Success Kit. I want you guys to get to know Success Kit because what they can do to help you create a testimonial that really improves your credibility and, and helps get your message out. I encourage you to check out successkit.io. Also, joining us now as a new sponsor is our good friend Brent Emler and uh, – we had them on November 29th, I really, along with Carrie Rogers. That was Carrie, and her commentary was really well-received by many. Of course, Brent has been such a good friend for so many years. Check out LendersToolkit.com, and a um, lot to talk about. More sponsors coming on the way. Interested in having as many of you interested in becoming a sponsor of the podcast? We would love to talk to you. Get it, go to our website, look at on lending, click on the link or sponsorship, or give me a call. Look forward to talking to you. Let's get over to Rob Van Rappers with the MBA Mortgage Minute and see what Rob has for us. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, HUD released much-needed guidance around the application of special purpose credit programs under the Fair Housing Act. This announcement is a response from MBA and the National Fair Housing Alliance, who earlier this year called on HUD to clarify that these programs were in fact acceptable under the Fair Housing Act. Now, a special credit program is a program under the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, or ECOA, 
that a lender creates to help low-income and historically disadvantaged borrowers. These people may not have the traditional requirements needed for a loan or have affordability challenges. So, financial institutions tailor products to meet their needs. However, there were questions about whether these programs under ECOA comply with the Federal Fair Housing Act, a different statute that covers mortgage lending. So, HUD's guidance clarifies that if these special credit programs conform with the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, then they generally would not violate the Fair Housing Act. MBA released a statement in response applauding HUD for this clarification, even though there are a few nuances we hope to address in the future. That said, the issue is a priority for MBA's Minority Homeownership Task Force, and we look forward to working with HUD in the future. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. You know, that's it's so good what the MBA is doing and addressing a lot of these things. My daughter was home. Uh, not, has been home over the weekend. And uh, we were talking, she lives in Dallas, she's in the mortgage industry, she's a loan processor. And we're looking at the affordability index and how difficult it is. And, you know, it's really getting more and more. The, the, the wealth gap is starting to increase. I'm so grateful for what the MBA is doing through the uh, HUD programs, through all the programs, all their initiatives to help increase home ownership and do what they can on many aspects, especially when you look at the underprivileged. So kudos to the MBA. <clears throat> so grateful for our partnership with them. And again, I apologize for my coughing here a little bit. Still the tail ends of that COVID thing. Anyway, Rob, good job. Appreciate it very much. Let's get over to Les Parker with the TM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Trading today on the crest of the Fed, it's like magic. Traders continue to wonder if the peak of the Fed's intervention is over. Think about Aesop's fable, the scorpion and the frog. The scorpion's nature stings its enablers. The lesson lives in the global markets with its various players, where it's hard to distinguish the villains from the heroes. Since the advent of the financial crisis in 2007 to today, the Fed actively intervened in the market's affairs. Can it stop and return to pre-COVID and pre-financial crisis days? It's a living thing. Is it a terrible thing to lose? It's a given thing. What a terrible thing to lose. These views are my own. Dive into the living thing at tmspotlight.com. Yeah, that's good. I love Parker, Gary Bone teaming up to do another great TM Spotlight segment of the Macro View of the Markets. Thanks, Les. Appreciate it very much. You can sign up again for the free newsletter or the, the paid version of the letter, a newsletter, Les's newsletter, with the word power. So appreciate it, Les Parker. And, uh, Good to have you all. Man, it's so good to be back with you guys. I'm so grateful to have health. Man, but someone who is not suffering from health but suffering from a lack of sleep is our good friend Matt Graham with MBS Live. He just flew in late last night from his son. I love parents that just really pour into their kids at this stage in their lives. And, Matt, I'm just so grateful for you to be on the podcast and Tyler is so sleep deprived. How are you doing, friend? They're snoring in the background. Yeah, you know, sleep deprived, yeah. but it's it's worth it, right? They're they're yeah. worse things to lose lose sleep over for sure. Yeah. Well, um, you don't get these years back. But anyway, it's good to have you going have you back. 
and good to have you. Yeah, uh, good to be back. Good to have you back and on the right side of the ground, no less. So congrats on on that. Yes. So what you got for us? <laughs> I haven't. I have not followed the market. Someone's saying, "What's going on with interest rates?" Are you kidding? I, I'm just trying to find my way to. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting time. And first off, I want to say Les's segment is just right on. I mean, a a lot of people that I talk to have been wondering this for years now uh, after QE1 and then especially after QE2 and 3 is, is this just the new way it's going to be, uh, you know, forever and ever? Is the Fed going to just always be buying some bonds or reinvesting some bonds and then maybe stopping for a little bit only to have to get involved again when the next uh, poo hits the fan. And, you know, I think a lot of people would like to know Uh, a lot of people have strong opinions on it. I don't know. I think there is some hypothetical situation in the future where they could get out. Clearly they're trying to, uh, well, they are decreasing their amount of bond buying presently. And we're going to talk in a bit about how they want to accelerate that and the market's reaction. It's kind of interesting and paradoxical, but, you know, I don't know what the implications are going to be going forward, but it's just a, it's an interesting thing to keep in mind and, and to watch to see how it unfolds. So we'll get to the Fed being the central point of conversation in the current week, but to set up the current week, we go back to two weeks ago when the Omicron news cycle flared mm-hmm. up a lot of concern about that. And uh, a very logical, I guess, if you're concerned about it anyway, a very logical sell-off in stocks and rally in bonds two weeks ago. And that was incredibly linear. You can take a a chart of stocks, say S&P futures, since that trades overnight, and overlay that with 10-year treasury yields, and they are almost right on top of each other the whole time. Then... In following week, we had several articles and some comments on uh, news interviews from officials saying that, hey, maybe this Omicron thing won't be quite as bad as we thought. That's the gist of those comments anyway. It's not necessarily exactly what they said, but that was the takeaway. And when that happened, you saw stocks reverse and bond yields reverse. And stocks, as many people know, recovered all of their pre-Omicron losses and are sort of hanging out at those levels right now. But the bond market did much better. It did not follow stocks all the way back up last week. And I think that was really notable because we did have a treasury auction cycle and corporate bond issuance adding to that supply side of the market. And that, you know, typically causes a little bit of drama for bonds on auction weeks. And then we also had lurking in the background, uh, not last week as much, but the week before and heading into that weekend, Fed speakers really being blunt about accelerating the tapering process in order to get to a point where they could hike rates quicker to combat inflation that is no longer seen to be transitory. And I don't think we got a chance to cover that um, last week because we weren't here, but you know, Powell in his congressional testimony even said that time to drop the transitory verbiage when we're referring to inflation. And then he also yeah. said, uh, the things about accelerating the tapering process. I think given all that and given the fact that stocks were moving back in the other direction, oil was moving back in the other direction, and just the general low level of interest rates in the big picture, uh, it's striking and perhaps encouraging to see bonds hold their ground as well as they did last week. Uh, there wasn't a ton of important economic data, but the most important report was probably the CPI data on Friday, consumer price index, 
And it was very well received, given that it came in at the highest levels in 30 years. Those were in line with economists' expectations, so there's a little bit of an explanation for that. But nonetheless, inflation is high, and uh, bonds had a lot of supply to deal with. Bonds are worried about the Fed accelerating the taper. And nonetheless, they leveled off without making any new highs on Friday and actually stayed under Wednesday's level. Oh, yes, and there was a really bad 30-year bond auction on Thursday, and that didn't seem to phase the bond market either. I know. So it's sort of, you know, it, I, I really hate to say, hey, we're seeing some some resilience here, and uh, maybe, fingers crossed, let's be optimistic. But from an objective standpoint, the bond market was more resilient than it should have been heading into the last end of last week. Now, this week could be a different story. By coming in as expected, that CPI report really put more emphasis on mm-hmm. this week's Fed. For instance, if it had been much higher than expected, then the market would have shifted to uh, – forecast or expect that the Fed would be more hawkish, less bond friendly this week. And so we would have gotten some of that movement out of the way on Friday. But by coming in as expected, it sort of makes the Fed reaction that much more volatile because we don't know exactly how they're going to play it. A lot of people think that the Fed is simply going to double the pace of tapering. So increase treasuries to 20 a month as opposed to 10 and increase MBS to 10 a month as opposed to five. But there are also some calls for just a 50% increase, so taking it up to $15 billion a month in uh, treasuries and 7.5 in MBS. Either way, that's going to accelerate their balance sheet wind down and get them to a point where they can hike rates sooner if that's what they decide they need to do. I think if they do that, they'll do it in a dovish sort of way where they say, we just want the, the flexibility. We want the latitude to be able to do those rate hikes. And we just don't like to do rate hikes if we're still adding to the balance sheet on right. uh, the bond buying side of things. Now, one Fed speaker last week, I think it was Bullard said, uh, yeah. and maybe it wasn't last week, it was the end of the previous, said, we could hike rates before we stop tapering, but only times I've heard a Fed speaker say that. So I'm not sure yeah, how well received that idea is on the yeah. committee. But anyway, I know I'm running long, so the bottom line is, Wednesday afternoon, 2 p.m., we get the Fed announcement. They're probably going to say something about accelerating tapering. They're also going to be releasing their summary of economic projections, which includes the infamous dot plot that forecasts rate levels uh, that each Fed member is expecting in the future. Usually that produces a a good amount of volatility on those four meetings a year where those come out. Really good. If you got locks to lock, (laughs) you might want to make sure they're in by Wednesday. Or if you're yeah. a big gambler, you might want to look for opportunity on Wednesday afternoon. Blow on those dice, roll them if you want to. But, man, play it smart, play it smart. Uh, one question that just came in from one of our listeners, Matt, for you specifically was, hey, I love your, love your system. Kudos to you for what you do. You, uh, I, I, it's discovered you through Liquid Unlending, and we're grateful to, uh, uh, for this service. Uh, one of the things there, they said, I haven't had a chance to read the message boards, but he says he knows you do, most likely presumably, I'm certain you do. Uh, what is the general flavor on from originators out there that you're hearing? Uh, bullish about 2022, um, concerned, general thoughts. Uh, yeah, Sorry I mean, for I think that... a cough right at the end there as I'm starting to hack away. Any, what do you I, I think? think things? Yeah, tempered expectations, right? Um, yeah. Every time we have uh, these these boomy cycles like we had in 20 and 2021, mm-hmm. then, you know, 
leaner times ahead, but not so lean that uh, the people that are have the realtor relationships or that have uh, reliable database marketing strategies uh, are going to struggle during those times. Right. And maybe not say they shouldn't be in the industry, but that are not necessarily yeah. as dedicated yeah. to being in it for the long haul. Yeah, more those, fair weather. Yeah. Those fruits might get shaken from the tree, let's say. Yeah, I think. Um, and so that's an opportunity for everybody. But, yeah. you know, I think in our community, people are pretty good about trying to keep other people grounded and say, make hay while the sun shines and don't go do. buy Ferraris just because you had, you made a million dollars this year. Um, yep. Because you might not next year. And that if you is, did, then give some to Matt Graham because he's not a loan officer. So yeah, he would appreciate that. That's good. Well, you know, David, uh, this is yes, uh, Jack. Jack. Uh, good, good to have you, know, you back. Think well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, good to hear your voice. Good to hear you sounding uh, well uh, today. Uh, you know, but I think it's important that, uh, you know, we all, you know, uh, keep a level set optics here. I mean, you know, the forward looking forecast for 2022, uh, you know, pick your poison 2.5 to $2.7 trillion in origination volume. And, uh, you know, um, who knows where it comes in, but, you know, that's where the forecasts are, are kind of bunched around right now. You know, look, you know, in 2019, uh, we were a two, a 2.1 trillion market. So, you know, if you just, you know, uh, isolate on 2020 and 2021, sure, the number looks bad or certainly looks challenging. But if you look back over, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, that $2.7 trillion forecast for 2022 is it's still a, a, a hefty uh, number. It's a great number. Yeah. I think yeah. when we come off, you go of back high... to a more realistic yeah. number. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, as opposed to uh, all time crazy numbers from, from the last two years. Yeah, exactly. Matt. Um, you know, so, so I think Matt's comment around tempered expectation really resonates with me, David, just, yeah. you know, because, you know, this will be 2022 will be the third best origination year out of the last seven or eight years. Wow. I yeah. think, uh, and additional yeah. runs toward low rates are possible. And when those happen, if they happen, then that creates uh, little pockets of, of mini booms for refis. But uh, as always, you know, it's it's always going to be the case that those who are are fostering strong realtor relationships are going to have the most consistent experience, but uh, that we wouldn't say that refi opportunity is dead, especially you know niche opportunities that that some people focus on. Yeah, great commentary, Jack. Thanks for jumping in. Appreciate that, Matt. I love the perspective. Certainly. I love your website. It's it is just elegant. And it is so powerful. And, folks, you can get signed up for a free trial, an extended trial, not without a credit card. I think you should just sign up. This thing is such a powerful tool. Everyone that I've got, just sign up. Just put that credit card in there and do it. You won't regret it. And, um, Matt, I'm so grateful for you to be a part of the podcast. Thank you, friend. And uh, you did well. Two hours of sleep. Dude, man, that's awesome. Way to go, Dad. (laughs) Another lacrosse dad, exhausted, back at work, but doing it well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, friend. 
Let's get over to Alice. Yeah, let's get over to Alice Alvey uh, and CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage with this week's legislative update. Alice, there's so much. We missed you last week. I'm so sorry for being down and out and <clears throat> not getting your live report. Man, did I hear about it. Woof, man. I had a lot of feedback. <laughs> we need Alice. We oh. need to listen to Alice. We pay attention to Alice. Where's Alice? There is a little cry of desperation in some of these emails. But anyway, great to have you here, friend. Appreciate you. Oh, great. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. And I I really did want to start out my segment by just saying all our hearts and prayers are out to those who um, experienced all the devastating storms over the weekend. It's just, it's just horrible. Um, Rob Rob Christman had a a link to the NPR video, the drone footage uh, that was uh, very impactful. So I just thought I'd give a shout out to a lot of us who had a very, very fortunate and prosperous 20. 21, 22, as uh, the uh, guys were just talking about. So USA Today, I noticed, had a whole list of places that people can donate to, reputable ways to be able to reach out and help if you can't uh, get out there and help. And uh, I know we've got family out that way as well. I know my sister was hunkered down in her shelter, and they're all okay, but even just being on the fringe of that storm Mm. was very frightening. So. Um, our thoughts and prayers are out to all of you who were impacted by that storm or yes. your friends and family. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I wanted to earlier. Yeah. Good. Uh, so, um, but, and so the good news that I have is there isn't any big legislation pending because Congress gets <laughs> busy with other things this, this yeah. time of year. So I'm happy to say I have nothing big and new to report. Just wanted to touch briefly on a couple of things. I know I, uh, we keep getting listeners asking if we've heard anything else about the uh, appraisal reduction right. that Fannie Mae announced during the MBA National Conference. And there isn't anything new. There's definitely some discussion going on behind the scenes uh, at the MBA and along with the agencies. So we're just going to hold our breath until after the first of the year to see if we can get something at that time. This is not the time of the year. New big announcements mm-hmm. like that will come out. So we'll wait and see. Uh, but as of now, I did double check this morning and there's nothing new on being able to expand our use of the 2055. And then uh, just last but not least, I was just checking through some uh, announcements and things and changes that Fannie and Freddie have made. Just so I have something for everybody. Uh, just yeah. double check your power of attorney stuff. Uh, Freddie oh, Mac yeah. has really, really tightened down on this, really tightened down. I mean, it's got to be mm-hmm. natural disaster, medical emergency uh, before you're using a power of attorney. And uh, But oddly enough, they'll accept it on a cash out refi, whereas Fannie Mae will not accept it on a cash out refi. So just really make sure you hone in your skills on POAs. You don't want to get that part wrong. Um, so that was just one thing I thought I'd throw out. And um, other than that, Dave, I'll kick it back to you for my short little sweet segment, which is good. Yeah. Remember the trid days where I'd have to talk for oh. half an hour? So oh, man. Right now. <laughs> oh, those days, those days. Oh, my gosh, yes. That and hello, comp, so many things. <clears throat> I was on with right. Mitch Kider, uh, Alice, um, just before I came down with COVID. And one of the things that we were talking about is one of the things that he's seen going on, again, consolidation within the industry. We'll talk more of that with Alan in just a minute. Mm-hmm. We're seeing oh, a yeah. lot of that happening, but we're also seeing the state level legislation. And so uh, do you have any commentary about thoughts about the state regulators and their um, increased, um, what's the right word, uh, oversight of our industry? If, and it almost 
Mitch said it. These are my words, not Mitch's. But um, it's it came across as almost like this is this is almost repressive. Yeah, that we are seeing new things come from state regulators. So I'll I'll do some digging. I don't want to shoot from the hip right now, and uh, we'll prepare some follow up for everybody in the coming weeks. That would be awesome. And we're also going to get Mitch on back on on the podcast. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Alice, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you as well, and Matt and everyone else on the podcast. Ben to say that after each one of the segments, but uh, appreciate you so much for being such a long-standing yeah. friend. And being here with me from the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, the last full week right before for the rest of the year, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Full work week. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Let's get over to Alan Pollock. Good to have you, Alan, with this week's weekly update. How are you doing, my friend? How are things in Florida? I was thinking of Floridians. When you guys are down there enjoying the nice temperatures. <laughs> And we're, you know, we're dealing with 30-some degrees. Not very often we deal with that in Texas, but we do. So uh-huh. how are you doing? No, I'm doing great. It, um, it, it was 80 this weekend in North Florida. It was amazing. Uh, I was out in the water, and um, so was everybody else. And today it's a little chilly. It's probably in the 60s, uh, maybe early, late, you know, 70s. But remember, for us, it gets cold when the temperature drops like that. For, yeah. for everyone else in the rest of the country that, that is fortunate enough to have the cold weather, when it becomes 60 out, you know, the, the convertibles come down and the windows go open. And, you know, that's yeah. uh, that's that's always funny. But um, nah, Florida's great. And, David, I'm happy to hear your voice and you sound great. So uh, it's good, good to uh, to have you back. Good. So, yes. Yeah, we got so much cool stuff going on. The industry's a little quiet, just like Alice said. Um, I thought you'd find this quite interesting. I saw this article. Get this. Companies, their printers, all right, are mm-hmm. apparently getting spammed by anti-work manifestos. So in other words, the digital receipts, the printers that you find at different companies out there in the world are getting spammed. Uh, people are hacking into them and writing things on those receipts that are going to consumers, and it's stirring a lot of eyes. What? So, in the world, that's right. Serious? In the world of, <laughs> I am. In the world of everything digital, um, it is a real thing, and um, you you can you should check your receipt when you go to the store. Let's put it that way. Um, so it I sounds like there's probably some kind of patch to some type of software. Um, it was on Gizmodo. If you want to Google it and check it out, uh, but a new it says a new report suggests. Um, someone has been hacking company printers and making them emit anti-work sentiment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Google it. Check it out. It's really, really funny. Uh, David, we're going to talk today. I'm going to get the end of the, uh, the, 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 the section here. I'm going to talk about the Moscow method because it's end of the year and it's one of the best things to do. But let's talk about a couple other quick little things. Probably you didn't hear – um, but home inspections, Zillow is rethinking them, and they just um, landed an $8 million deal for a Seattle startup, Inspectify. And they partnered up with a company called Fly Homes. The, yeah, the goal is um, it's a two-year-old company. They're, they're brand new. Um, they've taken $8 million from several VCs, and the goal is um, really to find a new way to manage home inspections. Uh, manage it and provide better quality and to, to you know create a better process in general. So fantastic area to leverage technology, and I think that's a really cool idea. 
Um, cryptocurrency. Have you Crypto. heard much about cryptocurrency lately, David? Oh, yeah. Other than it's crashing, and it continues to crash. So the thing with crypto right now is a lot of, a lot of folks, uh, and when I say folks, I mean companies, are becoming more um, – they're more easily adopting either payments that mm-hmm. are auto-converting into U.S. dollar or that are crypto. If you remember, um, Elon Musk had stated for a moment that he was accepting you can buy a Tesla with crypto, and then he kind of put that on pause. I think it's coming back. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff with crypto going on. Your Venmo account now has built-in crypto. PayPal has built-in crypto. Well, Walmart, get this, Walmart is ready to start accepting cryptocurrencies. So I know there's a lot of a lot of gray area in the mortgage industry with crypto, um, but there are a lot of assets that people have that with the IRS now have to be declared. There was a loophole that's been closed. So whether it's a borrower's eligibility and their assets in crypto or actually paying for things in crypto, it's going to become a hot topic in mortgage and there will be some technology, I'm sure, around it. But the crypto markets are not doing so great right now. But I thought that was interesting, so I want to okay. share that with the, uh, with the team here. Yeah, that okay. is interesting. So here's a funny one. So we all love, we all love coffee, and we all love the jokes <laughs> that people do with coffee when you go to Starbucks and they make a funny, funny you know, hint with the name. Well, back to David, chatbots and robotic automation and all the cool things that are going on. There is a hysterical Geico commercial – it is a robot, and he is trying to do stuff on the computer, and he gets with the CAPTCHA. Even us humans can't do it, right? It's like, you know, right. Right. Um, highlight all the bridges in the picture, and you, you think you got them all, and you have to do that five more times. Well, it shows him getting really frustrated. and uses his laser beams to cut the computer in half, and he's talking to a human <laughs> next to him trying to get help. Well, they, they put the name on the coffee, and they, at the end of the commercial, they go, Rob Ott, your coffee is ready. Instead of robot, so it was pretty funny. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a good chuckle. And if you didn't laugh the first time because you heard me say it, hopefully you laughed the second time. But Rob Ott was getting a coffee at Starbucks, and he did laser beam the coffee, by the way, after they called his name wrong. So here's a tech (laughs) alert, David, getting on the funny stuff, away from funny stuff. Next Mortgage News, they stated, and I read this today, there is a 94% percent year-over-year increase in the foreclosure activity in our market. In November alone, there was between 19 and 20,000 properties that fell into this class. And I say tech alert because if you are listening to this and you are thinking about investing in technology or building technology, this problem is not going to go away. Because if you think about somebody who needs to get out of a house, what are they going to move into? Home prices are, are extremely high, or they're just in an unfortunate situation. They need a downgrade or get out anyways, and they're trying to ride the market as long as they can or ride the home in the bank as long as they can. Either way, there's lots of opportunity in different kinds. may not always be helping the homeowner stay in that property. It may be helping them into something else and doing something with that property. But it's a tech alert. Check it out. Um, I don't think that's going to change much. We've had some folks on the podcast, David, um, that we talked to about technology and servicing and the pre-foreclosure side. I think that's a fantastic area. There's great things going on. Uh, more there. Loan quality management, David, to prevent foreclosures. ACES, right? Another big name in the loan quality management side of our industry. Well, they just did a partnership with a reg tech platform. Companies called Winnow. I haven't heard of them but it is um, a technology of all compliance information, compliance and regulatory information made up by a team of attorneys. 
And this database is now going to be integrated directly inside of ACES. So if you are doing your loan quality management or your post-close QC or your pre-ship delivery, whatever it is with ACES, they just are, I don't know if they finished it or they're doing it. You want to check that out. One more thing, David, to mention on the, on the vendor side, Open Close, the company I work at, we just yeah. launched our native mobile app, native Android, native Apple, wow. and native iPad for loan originators, giving them the freedom to be wherever they want at any time. So consumers all want everything when they want it, right? They want to do things on their own and kind of pull the ripcord and get that help. Well, originators right. need to be ready and they need to have the same tools. So we just did that at Open Close. Now, David, I told you I would mention Moscow real quick. So the Moscow method, the only reason I mention it is everyone needs to get prepared uh, for 2022. I can talk more about it next week, but the goal is to think about what you must have, what's nice to have, what you may have, and what you won't mm -hmm. have. And if you categorize your 2022 technology plan, you will be able to figure out exactly what it is. And the last thing I'll leave you with, David, is overambitious or overcautious which is better. Mm. And Moscow uh, method is going to help you get there. Oh, good. Can't wait till next week then. Get to hear about that. You teased us at the beginning of the thing, so we thought we'd hear a little bit more about it. So we have to come back next week. Awesome. Good. Yeah, well, you've we talked have to a keep lot about Moscow. And again, what it's, it, Moscow stands for, just give everyone the, it's an acronym. What does it stand for again? I actually don't know what all the letters stand for, but it's a prioritization method that a lot of technology well, folks use, is. and it, it breaks yeah, and it, it breaks down into a couple, four simple categories, and it's just a unique way to look at um, the work you have and what you're going to do with it. Um, and it really is something um, quite, quite interesting. We can, we can get into more of the details of it next week. A lot of people look at it as time boxing, which is, this is a much easier, but it's, it's yeah. David simply must have, should have, could have, and won't have. Well, I just looked it up, and that's exactly it. Is. So that's that is it. Uh, it's not uh, an acronym for all the letters. It is uh, must have, should have, could have, will not have. That's a really important part because I, I think more and more people lenders are struggling with that, especially we see consolidation. A lot, lot, lot of consolidation going on in the tech space. But we've run out of time. Matt, thank you so much, Alan, for being here as you are each week, bringing us wisdom and uh, insights and. Uh, a little bit of humor. Appreciate it, Fred. Very much. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Jack Nunnery, as we uh, wrap up uh, uh, the first part of the segment, do you want any, any thoughts and wisdom you want to share with our listening audience as we wrap this first segment up? Well, David, uh, just I'm going to uh, be a, uh, a very interested uh, third party watching, uh, you know, Friday's Fed meetings. Uh, it, it, oh, yeah. It it really I mean, you know is is read between the lines you know as Matt was saying uh, you know inflation you know I mean it, it there was a fundamental shift in Jerome Powell's words when when he kind of closed the lid on yeah. transitory inflation you know and mm -hmm. and basically. You know, what he's saying, David, is, is, you know, it's no longer transitory. You know, it's inflation. We've got to deal with it. Uh, and I look, you know, to see, uh, you know, more posturing to accelerate tapering. And then does that move forward, that mid-2022 rate hike that the market 
you know, has out in front of it, David. So I think Wednesday's a big day. Um, uh, uh, you know, listeners need to uh, make sure that they dig into the uh, FOMC meeting. Uh, I think it really sets a tone for what we can expect here over the next uh, three to four months from the Fed. Good point, Jack. Appreciate it to help me keeping us focused on what is probably going to be the biggest news of the week. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for being uh, on here with me and co-hosting this. I appreciate you. Oh, and uh, well, always well and, you know, also, as Matt said, uh, you might not want to come in with a bunch of uh, uncovered lots on uh, Wednesday. That's right. So on Wednesday's not a good day to go anyway. Yeah, spoken as a true warehouse lender for many, many years, concerned and watching over the balance sheets of many, many, many clients. So, Jack, thanks. Appreciate you wrapping it up with me. All right, folks, that ends this week's Hot Topics segment. And we're – excuse me, that ends – Mortgage. I still got a little COVID brain going there, folks. This that ends this weekly mortgage update. We take this podcast. Those of you listening live, just stay right here. We'll continue right on. Those listening on a downloaded basis, move on to the next topic because it's really, really relevant. What we're seeing and how we project ourselves in the marketplace and present ourselves in the marketplace. So that wraps up the uh, first half of the podcast. Stay right here as we get into the hot topic. Welcome, everybody, to the Licking on Lending Hot Topics segment. Very excited to have a pre-recorded message with Debbie uh, Weems, and she is the founder of DW Consulting Solutions. And uh, I'm really excited to share this with you. I got some commentary I'll share with you at the end of the interview. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and listen to what Folks, I'm excited to introduce to you Debbie Weems. She is the founder of DW Consulting Solutions, LLC. She's located in Florida. I met both Debbie and her COO, Chief Operating Officer, Davey, at the MBA conference in San Diego. And they had a booth set up where they were helping people with their LinkedIn profiles. And folks, I think this is such an important topic because more and more investors, more and more employers, more people are going to LinkedIn to be looking for your background, your experience. And I think it's so important on how you tell your story well. And be honest with you folks, if you look at most of the LinkedIn profiles out there, the story is not being told well. So, Debbie, I'm excited to have you join me on the podcast today. And I'm excited to be here, David. Thank you very much. Again, I love what you're doing because you're helping people tell their story and tell it well. And I think that's where many of us fail. We can tell someone else's story. We can tell various aspects of what someone else does. But we oftentimes have trouble talking and representing ourselves well, especially on something like LinkedIn. So, Debbie, that's what we're going to be talking about today and sharing with our listeners and how they can tighten up their LinkedIn profile. But I hope it leads to a conversation with you and your team. So let's get started. But before we go there, tell us a little bit about your background, let our audience get to know you just a little bit. What's your background? Where did you come from? How did you get into this? Thank you, David. I appreciate that opportunity. So I'm a New Englander from way back. I have been in Florida now for over 40 years. I still follow all the New England teams and a few of the South Florida teams as well. But I am a diehard fan of a lot about New England. I miss this time mm. of year with oh. the fall foliage. It's just a great time to visit. I did not get up there this year because we went to California for that 
conference instead. It's all good. You live in West Palm Beach, Florida, so not a bad place to go. A lot of Nor'easters <laughs> get down there to eventually find their way down there. But it was beautiful. I, I had my wife and daughters did a fall leaf tour up in your old stomping grounds, and it's beautiful. It's just magnificent. So your career-wise, let's talk a little bit about your career path. How did you get to where you're at? Well, I had to start with a, a little company called Raytheon up in Waltham, Massachusetts, <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I was out of college. I was an admin assistant, secretarial-type work. Eventually, that led me into the hospitality business up in Maine with restaurants and bars. Basically, I'm a networker from day one. Eventually, the winter of 78, I don't know how many people <laughs> can remember that, it was a blizzard, yeah, drove me south. And that's when I came down to Fort Lauderdale. And I've been in Florida ever since. I do get back to New England at least once a year, but I spent nine years in the hospitality business in Fort Lauderdale area, and then I came up to Palm Beach County to West Palm Beach and 23 years here in the nonprofit industry. So I've always done marketing, media, PR, and the last seven years of that career was fundraising. So I lost my job at 57, first time ever, and I was kind of, all of a sudden, what am I going to do next? It was the crash, 2008, and I really didn't know what I was going to do because no one was hiring in the nonprofits. I was fully qualified, but it was just a really bad time to be unemployed, and I stayed in that mode for almost a year and a half. So wow. went through lots of changes. I found LinkedIn as a job seeker at 57, and it went on from there. There. I created my business to show other older unemployed adults, professionals, how to use LinkedIn for job seeking. And honestly, when a couple of those people I was meeting with at Starbucks with our laptops came back to me at, at our next gathering and said, I got two interviews because of what you showed me on LinkedIn. It was like, poof, that was my uh, epiphany moment. Yeah. And you've helped so many others and so much feedback. I went through it. I've got a really good profile. As Davey said, your LinkedIn profile is well done but here's some tips. And the tips you guys came up with were over the top, even for those of us who have been very intentional on developing a good LinkedIn profile. But I think a lot of people look at LinkedIn and it's just for finding a new job. There's so much more we're finding that LinkedIn is involved with. One of the things that I'm finding is I'm knowing a investor that is looking to put money in the company, invest literally in equity. I have other companies that are looking to buy loans from the particular company and they're looking at the bios, the backgrounds, of what is posted on LinkedIn. Sometimes they check Facebook, but LinkedIn is such a good professional site to go to to get data points on someone's background. So with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit and have you open up by sharing what you've seen this do to enable business owners, employees, I mean, the full gamut. Obviously, it will help you find a good job. You just talked about that. Well, what are some other examples of what you've seen this has done for people? Absolutely. And it is the number one HR site as far mm -hmm. as people needing to transition. And we do work with professionals all the time that are in that mode. But business owners can really leverage LinkedIn to their advantage with all sorts of features that have recently been introduced. But we just celebrated 10 years of doing this work, David. And even over the 10 years before these wonderful new options came out, you're able to differentiate yourself because of those profiles and the content 
that you can build in them. And here's where a lot of LinkedIn members are a little bit lacking. They don't realize the importance of the about section. That's mm-hmm. the summary. That's where you get to tell your story. And you started off with how difficult that can be for people. Well, I'm a prime example. This has happened since we saw you in San Diego. I hired a professional writer to do my story <laughs> for my website, even though I've personally written over 500 summaries for LinkedIn profiles. And I think I do a pretty good job for other people. But it is really difficult sometimes for people to write about themselves. So we take advantage of every opportunity to use things like the cover story. That's a new 10-second video that if you're using this feature, when they land on your profile, they'll see a 10-second video. It's like a teaser. And then when they click on the headshot, they'll see the whole video. And it's whatever you want it to say. We are changing ours frequently. That's one way to stand out because a lot of people get a little bit shy about holding a phone in front of themselves and recording. LinkedIn pages, those are like mini websites. And every business owner should have one. And right now, there's over 5 million LinkedIn pages. So we work with people to help build out their, I still call it the company page because that's what it is. And then there's video opportunities. My goodness, last week, they just enabled video on messaging. So you can set up a video chat. And now they're rolling this out so everyone doesn't have it yet. But I have a lot of counterparts in the UK and Australia, and we all keep each other apprised of how that rolls lots going. So it's coming if you don't have it yet. And you can voice message people through the inbox on LinkedIn, and that makes you stand out. So there's lots and lots of different opportunities to make yourself climb above the competition. And we think that's what we're best at. We like our clients to show up on page one of those searches when people are looking for what they provide. Talk about getting to page one. Is that really the objective on these search results? Or is it just when they find you? Because we're using LinkedIn on our new website as the way, rather than doing an about us, about each of us individually, we're using LinkedIn. We connect it to LinkedIn because I think that's the most effective tool to do that. What should be the objective that everyone has when developing a really good LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Is it to be found in a search? We feel that every LinkedIn member should have two goals. Number one, have a complete professional keyword optimized profile. And that is the key. Keywords are your friend. And there are over 800 million members. Wow. Trust me, there's a lot of mortgage bankers in there. And in order to get them to come up to the top of searches, it's all about keyword optimization. You have to know what your keywords are, and it's not rocket science. These are the skills and expertise that are offered by you and your company. And we do help people get those together. But generally, nowadays, people have a pretty good feel for what their prominent keywords are. And we make sure that those words and phrases are in all of the five basic fields on a profile for the search engine. I'm talking about inside LinkedIn. But after doing this for 10 years, David, we know about 14 more places in your profile where you want to have have what we call intentional repetition of those keywords. And that's how we get our clients on page one. Now, every search result has 10 people on a page. So you don't want to wind up coming up in a search on page three or four. No one's going to find you there. So we feel you should look good and be found on LinkedIn. Well, look good is one of those things. So let's start with the profile picture. You do a lot of advising on profile pictures. You see some of the craziest profile pictures out there. You go like, (laughs) what were you thinking? But there's others that look really stiff and they look so professional. And what are the tips? First of all, 
have one. <laughs> I know that sounds obvious, David, but I have actually worked with CEOs that did not have a headshot. Thankfully, that doesn't happen too often anymore these days. But when I first started 10 years ago, absolutely, they just didn't understand who was finding them and who they're exposing themselves to. It's the world. Headshots. Okay. A professional headshot, obviously, is the best you can have. But as far as the dynamics, and here are some tips that a lot of people don't realize. They call it a headshot for a reason. If someone has, and we've seen it all, if they have a full body shot in that field that's supposed to be a headshot, when you come up in a search, that picture, whatever image you use in that field, it's reduced by 50% on a search result page. So if you've got a, even from the waist up shot Mm -hmm. in that field, uh, your face is going to disappear. People are not going to click on you. They're going to click on someone that they can see clearly. So basic, face the camera, dress the way you would for work. And a lot of people are working from home. It doesn't necessarily call for a suit and tie. It all depends on what your customers are typically going to see when they meet with you, whether it's on Zoom or in person. Thankfully, in person, things are coming back, thankfully. But you want to face the camera. You want to have a pleasant smile. Basically, no hats, no sunglasses, no one else in the picture. We still see a lot of that. And typically, a lot of times, husbands and wives will have a team for doing real estate. I get it. They work together. They're a couple, but they each need to have their own profile and their own headshot. And what else? I love outdoor pictures. If they're going to do professional photography, a lot of photographers will take you outside into nature, anything green behind you. Of course, we're on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean here, so you can do a lot with nature. But the idea is have a professional headshot that looks good, that presents you well, and that doesn't make you look like you're in jail. We've seen those too. It has to be relatable. I look at some of these pictures and they have the classic hand on the chin and I go, they just, they're professional, but they just don't connect. It it seems cold on those. I mean, so that's one thing I've also noticed. Okay, so let's talk about the importance of a banner. Should it tell your story? Should it be your logo? What are some guidelines that you recommend to make a banner effective? Well, first of all, again, have a banner. A lot of people don't realize the importance. No, the default banner is quite bland. It's a tricolor, gray, whatever. Not very interesting. Okay, I will key in on yours. This is a great one. And I'm I'm sure Davey already gave you this tip. But here's the thing. You are now able to include a call to action on this field. Uh And Microsoft bought LinkedIn four and a half years ago, and they've done some great changes. One of the best things they did last year was open up and start to allow people to add to the banner, website, phone number, email, tagline, whatever you'd like. Be careful that you don't crowd the image too much. And the only thing I would advise you on here is get right across the bottom under the word past. You can have a website or an email or Mm -hmm. your phone number. That becomes what we call a standing ad for business owners so that they don't have to go searching for the best way to reach out to you. It's a great point. By the way, listeners, if you want to go to my LinkedIn profile, put in David Lick and that's how you search for me, which is another place I want to go. A lot of people, you see their name, but you see numbers behind it. They don't realize they can go in and uniquely identify their name. And I think it's so important, like mine is LinkedIn.com forward slash LinkedIn forward slash David Licken forward slash. When you look at that, there's a lot of people that have numbers behind that. Yes, it's called optimizing your LinkedIn URL, and you Mm -hmm. did it perfectly. And how those numbers and letters get jammed up at the end of your name is the minute you create an account on LinkedIn, LinkedIn assigns you that.
that number. And until and unless you optimize it, which basically means getting rid of all that stuff after your last name. We feel that the URL should end with first name, last name, mm-hmm. no spaces, no caps, just one continuous David Licken. That's it. And if you wanted to include MBA, that's fine, or PhD, that's fine. But really, the search engine is going to have a much easier time finding you above your competition or other people. And I'd be curious, I haven't looked up how many David Lickens there are on LinkedIn. But when you eliminate that stuff at the end of your name, it's called optimizing your URL and everybody can do it. You tap on that contact info link underneath the headline and that'll take you into an edit mode where you can do whatever you want with that URL. Some people do put their business name instead of their name. Honestly, your name is your number one keyword on the internet. The minute you're born, the minute you get a driver's license, your name is all over the internet. So that's what we go with. That's really excellent. When you're talking about some of the other tips that you had, tell us a few things that most people don't know about LinkedIn. The one you already mentioned is now they've added a number of new features. I love some of the new features they've added. And David did a great job of bringing this to my attention. I've got to go back in and change my photo number one. There's a, I just showed her several pictures. She goes, yeah, I would use this one. It's a much better one. I haven't changed it yet. And then the video that you can put a brief video introduction. I love that. I love what you did on yours, by the way. I think yours is a great example of how you took advantage of this. Talk about some of the things that people don't know about LinkedIn. Sounds like they're increasing number of them. Well, I think one of the interesting things, David, is that LinkedIn started in 2003, almost the same month as what's now called Meta, Facebook, and mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberger and Reid Hopkins. Hoffman. Reed Hoffman's a co-founder of LinkedIn, and they actually knew each other back then, but they had very different ideas of what they were trying to do. It's been fascinating to watch the past 18 years of growth between the two sites. Obviously, Facebook is the kingpin for members. However, that said, LinkedIn is definitely the leader for professionals. So it is now the largest professional network online with over 800 million members. That's something we like to tell everybody. Now, out of the 800 million members, people get wide and I'll say now to bring you back to earth, about 32 million are active on LinkedIn. And that means they're on LinkedIn about three to four times a week. But that's mm-hmm. still a pretty good network to get into for business. Yeah. And the other stat that's really fun, even after 18 years, they are still adding more than two new members per second around the world. Oh, that's amazing. And that's why we love what we do. The pool from which you can be consulted to is just ever, ever expanding. Two members per second. Wow. Pretty rapid expansion, pretty strong trajectory. So when you talked about some of the other new features, any insights of some of the things we can anticipate? I heard that they're now like we do a podcast. This podcast now can be featured on LinkedIn, I've heard someone say. Is that accurate? Yes. And that goes along with the ability to publish newsletters on LinkedIn. I don't have those two new things. LinkedIn Live, that's what you're talking about. That enables you to do live podcasts. I don't have it yet. And I don't have the ability to publish newsletters. In the past couple of weeks, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have run into this on LinkedIn. You're getting lots and lots of invitations to sign up for people's newsletters. That feature is being rolled out in the U.S. right now. Again, I don't have it yet, so I expect it any day, but it's a little bit annoying how they're rolling it out (laughs) because there's just an avalanche of invitations. Sign up for this newsletter. Sign up for that newsletter. And there's only so many hours in a day, so I'm very selective, but I think it's another great opportunity for another avenue of marketing. 
If you're a borrower looking for a loan program and you may subscribe to a loan officer's newsletter for a period of time because it is relevant to something you're entering into, a real estate transaction, buying a new home. So you're wanting all the articles and everything. Then once you close on the deal, it could possibly go away and go from there. For those that may not be aware, there's a free membership within LinkedIn. I guess there's various levels, are there not? And talk about the advantages of different sure. levels. When everyone signs up initially with LinkedIn, they're on the free basic membership. And and we do encourage members to stick with that level until they've exhausted every possible option. LinkedIn is notorious for what we call burying really valuable options. So we make sure that our clients are fully aware of everything they can get for free. Now, next step up is called premium. And the biggest two advantages of upgrading to premium, which if I'm not mistaken, it's around $45 a month, you get unlimited searches. And on the free profile, you get a limited number and they will not tell you how many searches you get in a month. But eventually, if you're a prolific searcher like most salespeople are, you're going to get stopped and on the free membership and LinkedIn will say, Debbie, it looks like you might be recruiting. Why don't you advance to our recruiter membership? When in fact, I'm just prospecting and that's what every salesperson does. And of course, they're going to do it prolifically when they find out all the filters that you can use on that free membership. So we recommend exploring everything you can do on basic first, the free membership. And we do advise people all the time. Premium gives you unlimited searches, which is great for sales. And it also gives you 90 days worth of who's viewed your profile. Mm -hmm. And that's really important really to valuable. see yeah. who you're attracting to your profile. You want to make sure it's your target audience. All of that is done with that keyword optimization we spoke of recently. So that is the first thing we do with every client we work with, no matter who they are, what level, what industry. It's all about coming up in the top of those searches. And I think there's four or five now paid levels oh, really? of membership, all the way up to a recruiter, which of course the large companies now, almost all of them will buy into the recruiter membership for their HR departments because it is very, very robust. But you can also get into Sales Navigator, which right. is again, a terrific level, again, if you're going to use all the features. It's been an interesting journey, David, because we will work with a lot of people that are on premium. And first of all, most of them don't know what they're paying for. They just felt that a paid membership was a better membership to have. It is as long as you're using those options that you're paying for. So we make sure that people are using what they're paying for on the various level that they're on. Honestly, all of our coaching is based on the basic membership or premium. And I know enough about Sales Navigator to be dangerous, but we have several very trusted associates, particularly one in Canada, one in New York, that are specialists on Sales Navigator. So if somebody's on that level and they want help, I will freely refer them out to those couple of people that we have. And of course, we know people overseas as well. So it comes down to this. What are you doing on LinkedIn? What is your goal? Who are you trying to get in front of? What is your business? What kind of services do you offer? These are all things that we cover initially with every client so that we can have a feel for the best way to guide them. LinkedIn has a code of conduct and how you present yourself. If you could give us some ideas of how they're enforcing it and are there some boundaries that we should be aware of that we could trip over accidentally? Thank you for asking me that. This is my favorite subject. Uh, we're all about professional behavior on yes. LinkedIn and there has been a bit of a 
increase, for instance, spammy invitations. People that are trying to sell to you, as we call it, right out of the gate. We feel that that's probably the most inappropriate behavior on LinkedIn. And I understand why it's happening when people find out how targeted the searching is and how you can get right in front of who you need to sell to. It gets rather exciting. And it's no longer, I can't blame the younger salespeople for doing this anymore because it's a lot of other people as well of all ages, but they're too anxious to sell. And yeah. they know they've got a great target. And this is where my gray hair comes in, David. We're always going back to sales 101. You you have to get to have a relationship. You need to take the time to build the know, like, and trust with a prospect before you start trying to sell to them. When they invite me and say, hey, Debbie, I noticed you're a coach. Did you you can prospect on LinkedIn? We can show you how to do that. And I'm like, I don't think they even looked at my profile, which leads me into another really important point. The user agreement is very specific about not incorporating scraping software programs, third-party apps into LinkedIn's data. And that's a big reason for how a lot of these automated invitations are coming in. I actually got an invitation from a young guy and he was in the States and he said, hey, Debbie, would you like to generate 100 invitations a day on LinkedIn like we're doing with this one? He actually said that in his invitation. I took a screenshot. I sent it into the help center and I said, hey, you need to check this guy out. I don't hesitate to do it because it's against the user agreement. And those are the people that are spoiling it for a lot of us. And Mm -hmm. the first step on that was all of a sudden, if you started to invite somebody to connect, you might be greeted with a little phrase that says, this member demands that you know their email. So there's a privacy control people can choose to cut down on the spam. And then that was last year. And then recently, last couple of months, LinkedIn instituted a new rule. You cannot invite more than 100 people a week on LinkedIn, no matter what level you're on. So if you're paying for Sales Navigator, where you used to be able to do lots of invitations with LinkedIn's blessing, because it's a very specific Mm -hmm. setup and it's very professional, but now it's 100 a week for everybody. And, And that's kind of unfortunate. But it's one of their ways of curbing the spam. I just brought up my connections page. I have 24,384 connections at this moment, and I have five pending, and and they're from all over the world. And some of these are definitely spammy. So go to this point. You're starting to make a point. I just want to tell people that maybe listening and saying, I got to get home and listen to this again and go to the page they're at. (laughs) We went to the connections page. Okay, go on. So to get there on the navigation bar across the top of the screen, Mm -hmm. you click on my network, and that's where LinkedIn will show you any outside outstanding invitations that you need to act on. And I like to click on see all five or see all 10 right to the right of the word invitations because it lays them out in a different format that shows you when they invited you. And it also expands on any that are personalized so you can read the whole message. But here's the point. Almost anything and everything that's posted on LinkedIn, either by an invitation or a post, has three little dots in the upper right corner. And you can see that on his invitation from a fellow named Stephen. If you tap on the three little dots in the invitation, it gives you an opportunity Ah. to right away anonymously report the person's invitation as inappropriate. I love that feature. And LinkedIn does pay attention. And here's the real kicker. And I don't think people understand it. When you start throwing out spam like that, it only takes five members to click that inappropriate report 
network and you get restricted. And that's when you'll go to log into your LinkedIn account and you'll see this big five-word red phrase that says, this account has been restricted. And that's it. They don't tell you why. You can't get in. You have no access to your account. And that's when people call us to get out of what we call LinkedIn jail. And can you get out? I mean, I think a lot of what happens is I did this one time. I hired someone to expand my network. I needed the ESP. I gave the profiles. I went in and they tripped over all the things and I got suspended for a little while or I got put in LinkedIn jail. I go, right. what did I do? I called and <laughs> yeah. they said, did you hire someone? I said, yes. Who did you hire? And they said, we're putting that note person on notice. So I think there are some things there. People will inadvertently, the point of it is, is once you see the power of LinkedIn, you go, man, I would need to connect with everybody. And you start going at it aggressively. I did that <laughs> and I got in trouble. This was a number, a number of years ago, back when I was back at the 500 connections. Now I'm up over 24,000. So I think there are some things that people can do to get out of jail or is it just a time frame? You just need to be on the best behavior for a period of time. No, they have a very orchestrated step-by-step -step process to, first of all, prove your identity. And it is done by showing front and back of your driver's license in the U.S. or passport. And I do have people that email me and they're a little freaked out. I can't believe they're asking me for my passport or driver's license. And I'm like, listen, there's 800 million members. They want to make sure that you're not somebody that's trying to shut down somebody else or get into somebody else's account, which is another whole issue. Being hacked, it does happen. It happened to me about seven years ago. And I teach people how to use the site. My account was hacked because I did not enable a privacy control because I thought it was a pain in the neck. Oh, it's two more clicks to get into my account. I'm not going to bother with that. And my ID, it's basically ID theft, changed mm -hmm. my password, took me off of LinkedIn. My page, what my profile was gone for six days. And that was not good as a new business owner. <laughs> people thought I was out of business. It was a oh. horror show. So we try to coach people appropriately. But on that one, how can they fix that? Two ways. They go to settings and privacy, and then they go down to two-step verification. So it's on the left rail, as they call it, under mm -hmm. sign-in and security, right at right. the bottom. Make sure you turn it on, and it means giving LinkedIn your cell phone. And they mm -hmm. will simply text you a code every time you go into LinkedIn, and you either have the code or you don't. Most people have their cell Cell phones glued to their body. So it's yeah. pretty easy to grab the code and, and off you go. I always thought that was a bit of a cumbersome way to get into your account and I avoided it. Well, not anymore. After not that anymore. one time, that's all it took was one hack. Oh, wow. So I'm enabling that now. I did not have that enabled because I have staff that help me manage this. And how, how does that work? Well, that is the caveat. So you're going to get a text with a code. I also have admin help. And when that comes through, I know that she's trying to access my account to do what she has to do to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to be able to pass that code on to whoever's helping you out with your account, it works. Now, if that becomes problematic because you have more than one person helping you or right. something like that, then you're probably not going to be able to enable this because you might be in the middle of a recording like we are now. Somebody's trying to help you out with your account and you can't exactly act because that code is only good for two minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'll leave that part there. Folks, just pay attention to this. This is such a powerful tool. You need to protect it and also protect your identity. I think this is an important one. You've already touched on a number of new features that we can expect in 2022, some of which are being rolled out. Let's review those real quick. Here, the newsletters is one of them. Right. The ability to publish newsletters right from LinkedIn. And also, the other feature still being rolled out is LinkedIn Live. And that enables live podcasts 
that are right off of your profile. People just have to come to your profile, start watching, and it's automatically uh, a replay is enabled as well. So that's pretty cool. I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) So good. I love the services. I love your passion. I love also, Debbie, on how you reinvented yourself and how you've done it so successfully. That's as much a part of the story as anything else. I think a lot of people get to 57 is what your story is. I had 50 when we sold our interest in our last company. What am I going to do? That type of thing. And when you get older, people are not interested. But I think that's shifting too. But there are all these opportunities to reinvent ourselves and LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. I'm so delighted to have you here. And I can't wait for all our listeners to get a hold of you. I know many will. And how is the best way to do that? Well, I have one of those strange Scottish names. So finding me on LinkedIn, they need to know how to spell my last name, which is W-E-M-Y-S-S, like Sam. It looks like Wemus. Actually, they can go right to our website, dwconsultingsolutions.com. Right on the homepage, they can access a link to schedule at their convenience a complimentary 15-minute profile review. There are three of us that do these day in and day out. There's no strings. It's how we get people pointed in the right direction with a few immediate edits to their profile right over the phone. So powerful. Kathy Thomas, who works with me in the consulting business and myself went through this at the NBA. We are blown away with the value and what came out of that 15 minutes. It was so, so powerful. Listeners, I encourage you to get a hold of Debbie and her staff. Look at your LinkedIn profile. We want feedback on this particular podcast. We'd love to hear that you've actually done that, so please get a hold of us. Debbie, thank you so much for being here, sharing some quick tips. Every time I talk to you guys, I just want to dive in. I just want to go, I got to do more. I got to do more. It's such a powerful tool. Applaud <laughs> you for reinventing yourself because it's to all of our advantages. Thank you, Debbie. Appreciate it. Thank you. you so much, David. I appreciate the opportunity. Say hi to Davey and the rest of your team. Will do. Thanks. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. There's so much information in there <clears throat> that I can't begin to draw uh, focus you on. So share this with others. Again, warehouse lenders, investors, more and more companies are going to your LinkedIn profile to find out about you. How are you being represented? Get a hold of Debbie and her team, and I encourage you to do so as soon as possible. We'll become partners together, and I'm really grateful for the relationship. Folks, so good to have you be a part of the podcast. Sorry, I ran a little extra long today. It was worth it because of the information we had to put out. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Lenders One, Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, excuse me, the MBA, the Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, and now Lenders Toolkit. Great toolkits out there, folks, and we're thrilled. Next week, we got Ben Turling of Mobility uh, MMI and also Mobility RE. Again, they have two focuses uh, with the real estate side and on the recruiting side. So look forward to having you back here and listening to our uh, interview, live interview with Ben Turling. So good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.